Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, we don't have time to waste because we have a guest and we have multiple things we want to talk about. So uh, I will jump uh, right in first by mentioning our sponsor. Um, I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. Uh, they look great. They sound great. Uh, Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. I'm using them at this moment. This morning I was using them. I don't know. Uh, Tyler, I know you're somewhat of a jazz guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I am. I don't know if you're aware that a new, I mean, a, there's a live performance of John Coltrane's a love Supreme that we didn't know existed on tape Oh, was recently discovered and, and, and remastered. And I think uh, has come out just a, a few days ago. I was listening to, I love Supreme on my, um, on my earbuds, uh, my tweaked, uh, tweaked audio.com earbuds. They, it, it sounded great. It could sound great for you, uh, a, a, as well. You can find these earbuds at a low, low price at tweaked audio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweaked and use the offer code pretension. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole. Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Tyler? Yes. We have a guest. Who is, who is our guest? Oh, my gosh. It's, I, I don't remember when he was last on the show proper. He's been on a couple of commentaries, and, and obviously that's been a while. Um, yeah. But it's a uh, filmmaker and uh, just all-around great guy, in my opinion. I love talking <laughs> to him. He's always so upbeat. Uh, he always uh, ele- elevates. I wasn't even trying to do that. Always elevates uh, my mood. It's uh, Dallas Hallam. Dallas, how you doing? I'm doing great. <clears throat> uh, thank you so much for that kind, too kind introduction. I appreciate it. I probably should have focused more on you as a filmmaker. Like, you know, we don't have people on the show <laughs> just because they're like nice. Uh, maybe we no, should. No, maybe we should I, do that more often. Yeah, I'm. I'm happy to be known as as a super nice as as a magnetically nice guy. Well, uh, I'm also realizing let's not go uh, too far. We've known you almost ten years now. Mm-hmm. Because I know I I met you. Dallas, if I'm remembering correctly, I met you on the rooftop bar of the Downtown Independent during mm-hmm. LA Film Fest 2012. Is that right? Yes. And would that have been in November? Uh, this was, I think that was when I mean, LA Film Fest doesn't exist anymore, but I think at this time it was still during the summer, I want to say. Was it June? Oh, okay. Well, that would have been 10 years ago then. I mean, uh, 20, ago. It'll be, yeah, because it's coming June, 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I remember. Uh, we had just, my wife and I had just seen entrance. We weren't, we weren't even married yet, but, uh, uh, we talked to you and then we were, we, uh, uh, we mentioned we were planning to go get sushi in little Tokyo. And I think you recommended a place. Does that sound right? That does sound right. I can't, I have a terrible memory, so I can't remember what place I recommended. I. I do remember that my wife and I are at the time she was my wife and my wife and I were big. Uh, we loved going to eat sushi. So I'm sure I had a recommendation. Yeah. So that's uh yeah almost 10 years since that that uh that conversation. 
Yes. And I was, and I was a fan prior. Um, I was already a listener. I'd been a listener for a few years. I, I believe I was a listener. Cause I, I was also, I'm also friends with uh, sh- reg- show regular Josh Fatum. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but, and, that, and that's how we met. I think Josh connected us, but I was already a listener of an old friend of mine named John Damer uh, introduced me to the show hmm. way back when I was first getting into podcast, getting into listening to podcast. I hope John's still listening. Thanks, John. <laughs> yes. Thank you, John. Uh, but you know what? I get it. If he doesn't like we've been doing this for a long time, been a long after, time. after a certain point, here's a thought. I feel like at this point now, not just because I'm friends with David, but also just doing this for a long enough time, you kind of feel like you, you know what someone's going to say about a specific movie. Uh, every once in a while, David will surprise me. And I'm sure every once in a while I'll surprise him with like liking something or not liking something. But for the most part, I imagine longtime listeners like, yeah, I think I got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The last time I remember this is I remember you surprising me. It delights me when you surprise me. Yeah. You, if I, as I recall, hate you finally caught up with one of my favorite romantic comedies of all time, My Best Friend's Wedding, yeah. and you hated it. And I was like weirdly over the moon about the fact that you hated it because it's like, oh, we get to disagree about something. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely. I don't know if I so much hated it as I just. It's tough because that main character is such a sociopath as so many of those characters sort of have to be to make things happen, Mm -hmm. but it's hard for me to find her charming, uh, when that is happening. But, uh, but yeah, I was, I was catching up on some Julia Roberts movies. I did enjoy Notting Hill, which I don't remember if you liked that one. I'm Uh, not a big Notting Hill guy, but I probably need to need to rewatch it. Yeah. It's, Um, it's pretty solid. RIP to Roger Michelle, director of Notting Hill. Indeed. Indeed. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah. Speaking of directors, uh, ones that are still with us, Dallas, you've been, um, uh, uh, you've been, you've been making films for a while. Um, and, uh, we wanted to switch gears before we get into, as you probably noticed from the spooky theme music, this is our annual Halloween episode, but first we did want to switch gears to something more serious and, and talk about what's going on, uh, what's dominating sort of, uh, film industry headlines uh, over the past i guess like three or four days which is the um tragic accidental uh death of a cinematographer on the set of a the new mexico shot uh western called rust um i was telling you guys we started talking about this off mic and then we were like let's you know we have plenty to say um I have been for some reason, just like fixated on this story, just like consuming every sort of, uh, um, article that I, that I, that I can read. And a part of that is just like this, the, this, uh, this need on my part to like understand how this could happen because my, my understanding uh, which has been solidified actually by reading the, the things is that there are a lot of things in place on movie sets to keep this sort of thing from happening. And so I've been, I think just pouring through all of these reports, trying to figure out what went wrong at which stage or stages and which person or people um, uh, didn't do their, their, their task. But I've, uh, you know, I've never been, I, I was a PA when I first moved out here. I've never been on a set that had, um, guns going off um dallas you're uh, a director of work on sets have you ever worked around uh firearms yes in fact uh i am officially a member of local 
covers 44 um okay. if i'm wrong about that i apologize uh, for um most of my guns and a lot of gun stuff um so uh, I, I don't know what what has been um your well, response I, to read about this story like yeah it's yeah. terrible it, it's it's just it's just an awful thing to happen and um what i'm what i'm trying to do right now is not is is just it's it's so easy to jump to conclusions uh by re- by reading a few things and i'm just really trying to let the information come out. So for example, the first thing that I just, I don't even know is if this, if this, if, if, and correct me if new information has come out, but if these were in fact live rounds or if there was something else. Um, yeah, we don't, we don't know. I don't think at large, the public at large at this point doesn't know. Yeah. So with, uh, so I'm not brand- going to address it. Like there are, most of what I've read has been from legitimate news sources. There are yeah. rumors that have been on TMZ that I'm not going to address uh, yeah. uh, in regards to that. We'll, we'll see, we'll, we'll see what comes out, but we don't, we don't know what the gun was loaded with. We know, obviously yeah. there was something either in um, the chamber or in the barrel um, and we also know that when Alec Baldwin, who was the one who accidentally discharged the gun, we know from multiple sources that he was told it was a quote unquote cold gun at the right. time that he, that it was handed to him by yeah. the, so the, so the reason the I, I mentioned that is it, 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 it makes a difference. Although I guess the end of the day, the, the, it, this is a systemic failure more than a singular, uh, person's responsibility, uh, failing, but, um, in the case of Brandon Lee, it took years to fully understand that story and that there was a, a projectile, a bullet m- minus its shell stuck in the chamber of a gun. And then a blank, when it, when it, when the blank was fired, it actually <laughs> pushed the bullet that was stuck in the, in the chamber uh, out of the gun and shot him. So, and that was a, that was another example of a systemic failure that had, was a domi- a failure of dominoes falling over the course of many people and the gun moving from different locations. Yeah. So in the, I've given this, this particular tragedy, a good bit of thought. And um, I guess, you know, from my perspective, the blame lies on the culture of the set. Each, each movie it has its own culture. It's a, it's a, it's a business that starts up and it runs really fast and then it shuts down. And within that singular business, it has its own culture. And that culture is created from the top. The producers that are there uh, create that culture. And then the first AD who's getting a lot of heat on this one is the, the bridge between the producers and everybody else. So in this case, we have a we have questions about the armorer. Uh, I know local, I know 44 has said that nobody was, that there wasn't a representative from representative from 44 on set. I don't know if that's helpful or damning. I mean, why wasn't the representative on set? And so that there could have been many reasons for that. The, the person may not have known the weapons were there, but again, that's also kind of damning. Um, the next stage of that is why, why was the first AD even touching the weapon? So that should never have happened. Um, the, and then declaring it cold, clearly didn't even look into the weapon, but -hmm. declaring it cold is, is kind of beside the fact that first that he should not have even been touching it. And then at that moment where it was passed to Alec Baldwin, Alec Baldwin should have looked into the gun. Now I'm not blaming Alec Baldwin. I'm I'm just trying to point out there's a, there's, this is a systemic issue where there were faults 
at every link on the chain leading up to the horrific tragedy. Yeah, I think and that's. It, a, sorry, go ahead, Tyler. Well, and it does sound, and it, it's it's tough. Like in a way, it almost sounds like gossip, but of course, it's the nature of of this story. Like you hear about the the environment of of the set, and it sounded like, I mean, obviously, it's a low budget movie anyway. Uh, not that that necessarily uh, excuses anything, but you also hear that like crew members were extremely unhappy. Just in general, like just it was not a very positive place to be, and so right. you wonder if. Just it sort of in, in that spirit of people just were not putting a great deal of effort into their specific jobs or not communicating uh, the way they should have been uh, otherwise. And mm -hmm. it just sounds like such a I remember uh, I forget what article I was reading, but it said like it's obviously this is a, a horrible thing no matter what. But there's just something about like somebody dying on the set of a movie that they don't really want to be a part of at a time mm -hmm. when it's pretty miserable to be there anyway. And this is what, and this is it, this is what happens. And so, yeah. uh, yeah, it just sounds, I mean, on, so on every possible level, it just sounds like such a horrible, a horrible thing, but I'm sorry, David, you, uh, you go ahead. Well, a couple of things. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the, the culture. Cause I think there's a, there's a, an instinct maybe on certain people's parts. And I kind of had it too, to read stories about like the camera crew walking off set that morning and being mm. replaced that day. And there's a part of you saying like, well, that's, that's awful, but this wasn't the camera crew's fault, but it speaks to what you're saying, Dallas, that there is a, a, a culture. There are re reports that this wasn't the first accidental discharge um, on the set of, uh, of Russ. So this is clearly something uh, ongoing. And it gets to the thing that I, I, I think at first my impetus for like wanting to read so much about this was me thinking, what do we, what does the industry need to put in place to keep this from happening in the future? And what I'm sort of realizing, it's like, well, protocols are in place to keep this it's from all happening. There. Now yeah. it's like, well, what do we need to do to make sure those protocols are followed? So I've worked with many armorers that they take the, their job very seriously. And so I don't know that I don't know this armorer and I don't want to speculate. that that the, the protocols are in place i mean i mean I, I even i left out one fault and that but one bit of fault is their live round even on set so that that that's a whole nother question were these guns taken out after hours and for for fun were people out doing some target practice with these weapons but live rounds should not have been near the set to begin wanted by an armorer. Then you've got the first lady touching the guns when they shouldn't. And then you've got Alec Baldwin, who should have been more aware of um, the safety of being handed a gun, regardless of what he was told. I mean, I've, I've seen guns passed to actors the proper way is the armorer opens up the, the weapon. We look in the, the first AD looks inside. Then the first AD says, okay, now armorer, take the gun over to the actor. The actor looks inside. There's many steps. And so those it, it, if you, the cultures have to change, but the protocols are already there. I was recently, uh, as I tend to do, uh, because I love this Blu-ray set so much and I find it oddly uh, comforting. Uh, I was rewatching the, the making of the alien uh, anthology. Uh, and, you know, uh, I was I was watching interviews uh, from with like Gail Ann Hurd, uh, the producer of Aliens, and and they talked about some of the stuff that was happening that had happened on set, like just 
you know, you're dealing with big equipment, you're dealing with explosions and fire and guns and all that sort of thing. And it was something that she said that also reminds me of something that, that, uh, we, we once heard uh, Richard Donner say in a, in a, in a, uh, an interview about, uh, the omen, which she's like, she goes, you know, when it comes right down to it, we are just making a movie and it's just not worth anybody getting hurt and certainly killed for. And, and I think it's, it's possible. Cause I, I also, uh, our friend, uh, Eric 13 tweeted about this and he had said, um, that he was directing, like directing a, a short film that involved a gun. And he wanted to, and he was a real stickler about like the, the rules. And he said he got sort of treated even as the director as sort of a wet blanket, uh, by various people on set, including the producer. And, and so I do think that like, because it's life and death for, because like, obviously this is people's job and they take it very seriously. Um, and so in a way it's almost like, yes, but this is, you know, we're doing something really important. He's like, yes, you obviously are making a living and you're creating art and all that. But when it comes right down to it, it is just a movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and just because like, yes, this is art and you are being creative, but there is uh, there's technology behind it and there is a lot of work that has to go be, uh, into it. And so the idea that any set, whether it be a bi uh, big budget or, or small budget, whatever it is, uh, that people would like ignore these important protocols like that, if it, if it were a construction site, of course, people would would uh, would observe it but because it's it's a movie you do sort of wonder again i guess going back to this idea of the culture of a particular set if people just aren't taking it that seriously because it's just like well on one hand maybe they're like well we're just making a movie people don't get killed during movies they get killed in the movie but that's it uh but uh but yeah like it is a job like any other and that people can get actually hurt and actually mm -hmm. killed and so i do i do wonder if as you said like the protocols are there and hopefully, uh, you know, thankfully, this is something we don't hear about that often, but we do hear about it enough, uh, whether it be like the death of, of Vic Morrow and various others and Brandon Lee and all these other things that happen on set. And hopefully it's something we don't hear about for a long time because this is getting so much press that every film production uh, uh, from the top down, whether it be huge or very small, is like, OK, well, obviously, this is a very serious thing that can happen and no movie is worth this kind of, you know, casual attitude. So let's like really take it seriously. I mean, obviously it's unfortunate that somebody would have to die for that to happen, but at the same time uh, it's, if there's anything potentially quote unquote good that could come out of it, it's the like, maybe just maybe this will be the last time this happens. Right. Right. And we should, uh, we should move on to our indoor, Topic. We've talked about this whole thing without actually saying the name of the woman who died. Her yes, uh, the yes. cinematographer's name was Helena Helena Hutchins, I think, is how you say her yeah. her, her first name. And um, it's a, a a terrible loss. Um, she was, by all accounts, very well respected and had uh, quite a career in in front of her, and has a loving family and son. Yeah. So um, uh, definitely, my my thoughts go out to to the Hutchins family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that was heavy, but let's yeah. get into it again. Let's get into it, shall we? It's our horror episode. Okay. Um, so we're going to freak each other out with tales of, uh, <laughs> of, um, of arrogance and condescension 
<laughs> yes. as we unpack the but, term. But, but, who's, but who's arrogance and condescension? <laughs> we'll that's, see. that's what'll be interesting to see as we go forward. As we unpack the term elevated horror and what that represents, what it says about the movies that are described that way. And maybe I'm tipping my hat towards where I'm leaning, what it says about the type of people who describe movies that way. <laughs> but Tyler, yeah, this I, is your idea. I, yeah. Uh, I think because the concept is something I wasn't really super aware of um i think you had told because you're david you're more tuned into like film twitter than i am um i know we, and, we say uh, film twitter as sort of like a uh a, a metonym or a stand-in for like just the discourse so like yeah um this is like so sometimes i use film twitter to talk about like people getting obsessed with things that aren't important <laughs> but sometimes sure. the actual discourse is happening on twitter wait yeah, real quick and, and at the risk of sounding just like a 50, 60 year old man. I've always, I've never quite understood what is meant by film Twitter. Is that just people on Twitter who are discussing films or is there like a subsection that can be joined? I'm just, I'm sorry. It seems so old. No, there's not like an official thing you can join. It's just that because the way that algorithms work, you tend to self self select your own bubble on Twitter. So like I tend like, um, I tend to like basically get, film when i read my tweet my twitter feed in order it's usually about movies or it's about hockey occasionally it's also about politics because all of twitter is always about politics yeah, but sure, it's sure. but it's like usually movie people or hockey people tweeting about politics you know and then occasionally i get like lacrosse tweets because if you follow if you follow women's hockey like writers unfortunately there's not like not a lot of people are making a full-time living writing about women's hockey. So you tend to also get like weird other like niche sports. So I get like a weird <laughs> amount of lacrosse, like pro lacrosse and college lacrosse tweets during those seasons. And I just sort of just scroll right past them. But anyway, you Got sort it. of still have select your bubble. So like we did a whole episode. This was like 2018, I think about the idea of film Twitter and how um, it's not actually that useful a term because like there's like art house film Twitter and there's like sure. people, you know, MCU film twitter or, or whatever you know um it, it, yeah last last night scrolling through twitter it was like everything was either about the new nhl team the seattle kraken or about dune like it was just like sure. one going back and forth uh, like oh the kraken are off to a good start okay, i thought okay. dune was okay like that's all of my tweets uh but anyway so yeah film twitter <laughs> is not it's not a set in stone thing but uh, it's just a way, a shorthand of talking about like the online film conversation, I guess. Yeah. And, anyway, I, and so I guess I probably, I should, I so, probably so, should be part of it uh, given what I do. But right. uh, at the same time, I tried it for uh, like a few months ago, I tried it for about two days. Uh, I followed a lot and I was like, all right, I'm going to really, I'm going to plug wow. in. This is my community. And after two days, I was like, like really do wow, Twitter. This is, this is exhausting. I, I don't, I can't do this. Yeah. Every two or three years, every two or three years, I'll, I'll redownload Twitter and kind of try it out. And it's just at a point where I, I, I just, it's just too much, too much effort. Yeah. It's, it's so reductive. Um, uh, and, just the whole and, internet is just a pain in the butt, man. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. Anything I've found. So, so I do a lot of, patreon subscriptions and so i found when i get when a patreon subscription uh will like sometimes will automatically drop you into a discord server and at those Ooh. times those are great there's something about 
um, there's something about the fact that everybody's paid a little bit of money, put a little bit of effort into being there that really changes the the vibe on something. So yeah. um, I do a good bit of discord, but if it's, if, if I go on to anything else, um, I I'm very hesitant to make any sort of comment on anything or because I just, the, the, the language is so it's a different language at this point. And I don't know how to speak it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're probably better off as a yeah. result. Yeah. Um, David, David is the one taking the hit for, for me <laughs> and for, for battleship pretension. And I very much appreciate it. He's plugged in. And this is what I'm talking about is that like the idea of elevate, like once David had told me like what people mean by that, it's like, Oh no, I totally right. get it. I totally understand what they what people are talking about. I don't agree at all. Uh, I think it's a v- very much the wrong kind of conversation. Um, but I also understand like, you know, people talking about sort of this horror renaissance of the last 10 to 15 years um, with films like The Witch uh, mm-hmm. or Midsummer or Hereditary, um, you know, just sort of or frankly, I would include obviously it wasn't a big movie, but I would include entrance like these kind of these slow burn horror movies. Uh, and I think people see that and they see like, oh, this is something a little bit different granted there are movies there have been movies like that in the past but right like this is something a little bit different and it's different than my in my opinion reductive definition of horror and so this is something i can finally at long last take more seriously as though horror itself is not inherently artistic well this is um, um uh, to so give, I'm, I'm tipping my hand as well by the way <laughs> yeah but okay so to give my understanding of the sort of the history of the term i think you're right talking about things like entrance or like house of the devil and like the early early 2010s there was this bubbling up of uh, of a certain type of slow burn and they used to be uh, called horror. mumble gore which mumble thank gore, god yeah. that that just that didn't <laughs> stick or that left which whichever but but thankfully but, that's not a thing but then I think what happened in 2014 and 2015 is two movies, not not movies I would consider mainstream movies, but got enough attention to sort of bubble up into the mainstream are It Follows and, as Tyler mentioned, The Witch. And I okay. think those movies garnered enough attention that people outside of the indie horror world or people who didn't have the pulse on indie horror were were were. were taking account of that and also the babadook is another one i think that that um uh and what year is, is that also 2015 uh 14 14 okay so it follows in the babadook and the witch uh 2014 then, 2015 well see that yeah i think that's after this has been a a, a okay okay so, so yeah yeah i think um, i feel like hereditary sealed the deal with whatever this whatever is so-called elevated horror is hereditary kind of iced the cake there yeah and well um because hereditary is 2018 um i don't know if if people consider get out part of this like is I, is that I, got, yeah i some people do i mean so i i i'm i feel like in some ways i'm unprepared for the conversation because <laughs> i really have never i mean it's a term i've heard in discourse but it's not a term that i've ever i went and googled it. some some discussions and articles and lists but I've never really dug deep into what people are meaning by this outside of just what it seems to be on, on its surface. And um, I, I don't like it. I don't like the term. I'll go and put my cards on the table. I, yeah. I feel like we're all in the same boat on that. Maybe for different reasons, I, I, uh, but I don't, I don't think it's a very good but, title, a very good uh, uh, label. Googling the term kind of like 
made me realize like, oh, this is like a tempest in a teapot situation where there is more backlash against this term than there are people using it in earnest. Well, that was my next question. Yeah, because you mentioned so on film Twitter, do people use this term as in actual discourse or do we just see this term used a lot where people are saying things like, oh, God, I'm so sick of people saying elevated horror. And it's more that which is actually the thing that's happening. Okay, but but it's also kind of I I do think there is still a, a, a problem of mainstream, not even mainstream audiences isn't really the problem here. I think, quote unquote, like respectable bourgeois uh okay. audiences and critics still yes. even if they're not using the term still saying like okay this kind of horror like midsummer like you know right. ari aster's movies are are more respectable they are of more worth well, well, and, somehow and it gets, it's bigger than that not only are they more more respectable they're unimpeachable so i think where we're we start to bristle at the the, the way these movies get discussed is that there's no room for discussion. You know, if you don't like The Witch or I really like Midsummer, and I really like all these movies that are being discussed or that we're going to discuss. Um, however, there is something a little that, that doesn't feel quite right when you're when when cultural tastemakers pick pieces of media and then present them to the world as, as just completely unimpeachable. And then it, and then it makes you and then a term like like elevated horror what i think what it tends to do at least for me is that i start to go okay well what's so elevated about them and the more i scrutinize them now i'm not i'm not uh, is it okay that i just run for a second i'm sorry please please okay okay so uh, and i i like i said i like these movies but this is this is why i don't like this term because what the term does is the term leads you to turn back toward the movies and ask yourself well, are these movies wearing the emperor's new clothes? Is a movie? I mean, how how deep really is is say Midsummer? You know, uh, now now again, I like the movie. Okay, so I'm not I'm not here to, to 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 say these movies aren't actually good, but the term elevated horror it pushes your brain to start to look at them and say, well, but what what is it that makes these so called? What what is it that makes these movies? Um, elevated what does that mean and all to my mind what it means is that these are like the um the the museum version of a horror movie the 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 the, the new yorker version of a horror yeah. movie you know what i mean like as opposed but but does that mean it's actually deeper i mean i'm not trying to throw stones here but i mean you may be able to have a deeper discussion about about uh you know bring in all kinds of things like Freud and philosophy and Marxism and talk about things like Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 or Sleepaway Camp, wonderful example. And I don't know that the movies that are called Elevated are actually deeper than the horror movies that are um, that spent most of their existence being dismissed. Yeah, I think Which that's... Is not that's- they don't like them. I just watched the lighthouse, but I'm not sure that how deep the lighthouse actually is. But I, I think that's to, to get up on my high horse. They, I think to a certain superficially literate audience, they seem deeper because actually they're easier to read where, whereas something that seems to be dressed up in, in, in schlock or whatever um, it might take some more, mental elbow grease to say like, Oh, what is this movie reflecting about the world in which it was made? Whereas in something that seems 
arty or thoughtful it's more up sure. on the surface like oh, or, I can or, see what... or how about this it's something that's intentionally fun can't be good art right right and is yeah. like easily more easily acceptable as a work of art now i say all this like I, I can't stress enough how much I like these movies that are being discussed. I just wouldn't put, I wouldn't put them above other horror movies that I've seen. They're yeah, just, I mean, it's all, it's all what it, it, you do. You pull it out by itself and you say, okay, midsummer is instead of calling it an elevated horror film. Well, it's, it's a version of folk horror. Let's put it inside of folk horror and discuss all of folk horror. You know, or or the witch, put it inside of witch movies and talk about that. As opposed to saying, oh, the witch is some kind of masterpiece because it's not fun to watch, which it is fun <laughs> to watch, but you know what I mean. Right. Like, yeah, no, I know I, I know what you mean. But it also I think a lot of it has to do with like the 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 cast, you know, hereditary has like Tony Collette and Gabe Byrne, like you know, um respectable actors, whereas like horror was a place where we did a whole episode on like the sort of um uh, grand dame horror, like formerly respectable actresses who, like oh, later in life, have to Betty like, Davis, uh, yeah, yeah, Betty Davis, Shelley Winters, yeah. Uh, there's a, a a lot of a lot of people like that. Um, uh, but but yeah, uh, to go back to what your point, the the example I was going to give a, a movie that's super fun, super populist and mainstream, uh, Poltergeist, one of my favorite horror movies of all time, <laughs> is also. Uh, an incredibly insightful movie about the sort of anxiety of like former hippies who are now like upwardly sure. mobile moving into the suburbs, <laughs> you know, um, and, and dealing with like what of themselves remains from their younger idealism. Right. Like that's uh, that movie is such a rich text. So it's uh, rich. So you could bring poltergeist in and you could talk about, uh, the Reagan years. You could talk about and just ha- where it sits in history. You could talk about. You could bring in sociology. You could talk about the expansion of the suburbs and urban planning, um, the ways in which it's problematic, which which should be problematic. And I think <clears throat> that get that just more things to talk about you know the 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 in the film whereas some of the so-called elevate one of the touchstones of an elevated horror film is i think they're not going to hit any notes that that are going to make it cancelable by the culture there's just something about them that's very sterile and figured out it's like they've figured out the, the right notes to play where we all have we, we can't do anything but but say we like these movies which again they're good movies but i'm just saying it's yeah it is a little that's strange. a that's a great point that they're weirdly like safer uh, I think the, so. The, these movies, which is again, I, I don't want to sound like I'm ragging on these movies. I mean, I do have my problems with Hereditary. I think Mid- Midsummer is definitely an improvement on 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 Hereditary. I love The Lighthouse. Um, I love The Lighthouse too, by the way. I mean, I I I, I just watched it, but I I'm sorry, I keep interrupting. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's fine. You're the okay. you're our guest, so uh, you get pride of place. I just don't. Um, I, I I I've been thinking about this all day because I don't want to. I'm ragging on these movies, but movies have a very privileged neoliberal perspective and they're made from that perspective and they're made for that perspective, you know, like you don't get it. And so I like those movies, but I like, I mean, you know, I like Nightmare on Elm Street part two just as much. All right. So I'm developing a theory right now. 
Um, and I think, and I think David kind of mentioned it, it already, but essentially like, and it, this, like yourself, it's going to sound like I'm, like I'm taking a swipe at these movies. Not at all. I adore the witch and yeah, it follows yeah. and a lot of these. Uh, and so as tends to happen, the way people talk about movies tends to impact. It, sometimes we get it mixed up with the films itself themselves, you know, mm -hmm. and it's just like, I don't think. Robert Eggers was just like, ah, now it's time to really take this seriously. No, I think he was just making whatever movie he wanted to make. But I do think that like you get a movie, you know, you mentioned Poltergeist. Uh, I think obviously like like Night of the Living Dead. It works completely on its own level uh, on, on this on the most superficial level. People watch it as a zombie movie and they're like, it works as a zombie movie. Now, obviously, there's there is more going on underneath the surface, but if you wanted to only look at it in the most superficial way, it'll still work for you. Mm -hmm. And I think there are people who are suspicious of that. Uh, and they think that like, well, no, like something like the witch takes the, the outer layer and the lower level or whatever, the, the deeper level. And it combines the two. Um, so that, yes, so that you can, that suddenly the, the deeper conversation is part of the superficial layer. And I think people mistake that for like, okay, well now you can't not talk about the deeper level. Whereas with, you know, alien or poltergeist or night of the living dead, those like, it's the kind of thing, it goes back to something that we've talked about before, where it's like a certain type of hoity-toity person's like, well, morons are just going to watch this movie. Like, I mean, I know what Night of Living Dead is all about, <laughs> but these morons over here, they just think it's a zombie movie. Ah, but with something mm -hmm. like The Witch, that brings this to the surface. And now the morons think it's too slow. So now right, we have right, something, right. now we're really going to weed out the morons at, from people like me. Uh, and I do feel like, mm -hmm. it, again, the way I don't think this is Robert Eggers doing it, the way people talk about it is itself is itself a way of gatekeeping and being like, no, no, no. It's it's Professor Frank uh, play, teaching kindergarten and playing with the little corn popper thing. And he says he says no. And a kid says, can I play with? It? He says no, because you won't be able to appreciate it. Uh, on as many levels as I do. <laughs> and that's what it reminds me of. And so, uh, and, and that's, I think that's spot on. Thank you. <laughs> it works really well. Uh, and I do think that this is something David and I, 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 and we're not the only ones to do it, but like we often associate horror with comedy because screaming and laughing are involuntary reactions. And it takes actually a lot to get that reaction out of somebody. And as such, you'll find just as many like people don't say elevated comedies, but you will see that there are those movies year to year that are perfectly good. Like the one that I, that I usually jump to is like sideways. I think sideways is great. I think it's often very funny, but obviously there's a melancholy there. There's some drama there. And because of that, people feel like they can take it more seriously than a movie like say airplane, which is my go-to as the funniest movie ever made. Um, Meanwhile, and, and so because they can take it, because they can dissect it more overtly on like a, on a drama level, on a narrative level character, whatever it is, they, they feel like, oh, finally, this is a comedy I can enjoy uh, and, and take more seriously. And I think that in, and there's nothing wrong with sideways, but I think so much, like we've been talking about so much of how people respond to it and 
it just suggests like a real snobbishness towards stuff that is seen as more base, like horror, like comedy, whatever it is. And it's like drama and really delving into things. That's what we like. And anytime uh, one of these lesser genres or categories or whatever it is, uh, can it can try to achieve that. Now I can finally engage. With, now I can finally uh, condescend to engage with this the way uh, I would uh, other films. Yes, yes, I, th- I think that's true. I, I I think there's a snob. There's always been a snobbishness, and that this this hasn't changed since you know since Hitchcock was complaining about it. Um, there there's a snobbishness toward. Um, how do I say the, the really a lot of time, great suspense movies are manipulating you and. Well, all movies are manipulating you to some extent, but there's a feeling that if I'm being manipulated, that means it's not good art. That good art should be sitting flat and I, I approach it and I do what I want with it. I don't let it do something to me. And a lot of the movies that we talk about as elevated horror films, not all of them, but a lot of them don't really play in the play with the mechanics of suspense. There's just that there's just, there's a feeling that toying with the mechanics of suspense is somehow based. And so by doing this kind of more, I, for lack of a better word, like European art house style, that, but actually these movies are they, they, what they, they just tend to be using things like, um, I mean, when you watch something like Hereditary, you know, you, there's, there's just, they're wallowing in some of, some of the negatives, the most negative of human emotions, but they're not really working with suspense. I don't know. I, I don't know if, 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 if the director of Hereditary would, would appreciate that, but um, I don't ever with many of these films feel, I, Get Out would be different. I mean, that, that's, 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 take that off the table for a second. But a lot of these movies, they are movies that you're watching and you're really, scrutinizing and, and you're enjoying the um the aesthetic qualities there there are exercises in, in, in aesthetics aesthetics and i don't mind that at all i i've often thought that you know i i never have appreciated the the insult when something's when when the, when the idea of style over substance is lobbed at something as an insult I mean, style is substance and style can be substance um just look at the neon demon for god's sakes and it's that, that you don't get more substance than that and it's just style um that was one but, of my favorite um, movies of that year I love really that and it surprised I fucking me love yeah. that movie yeah, yeah yeah it's okay to just wallow in style but, but that's what i tend to feel now th- these movies are all very fresh i mean i just watched the lighthouse who knows how we're going to feel in 20 years but a lot of these movies for me at this current moment, while there's um, the, 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 the less than generous way to put it would be that they're collections of affectations. And I know that doesn't sound generous, but, but, but that's the, that's where my brain goes. When I start to go, when I start to ask myself, well, what is elevated horror? I can't have that's, you know, the, the term itself is pushing my brain to a place. I don't want it to go, which is to say, Oh, well, they're just collections of affectations. And that sounds so mean. I don't mean it to sound mean. So that term should be, uh, <laughs> but I think again, we're, we're talking more, as Tyler said, we're talking more about the type of people who gravitate toward quote unquote elevator horror than we other are the films themselves because we like these movies. But I think what they're yes, yes. responding to is the aesthetic. And it's also this term is new because a bunch of them happened at once. It's not new for there to be every once in a while a horror movie that is deemed respectable. There's Science of the Lambs, 
Rosemary's Baby, um, a movie that came up when I was Googling this a couple times is Jacob's Ladder, a movie that I love, actually. Um, Did Silence of the Lambs come up in, in some lists of this? No, I, no, I, I'm, I'm saying uh, that it, if the term existed in 1991 sure. or 1990, whatever, whatever year that was. Um, so that's an interesting because that because that movie is is playing very hard with the mechanics of suspense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's something you. Um, I think the the number one thing that, uh, that it's like the biggest signifier to me of like this person's a snobby quote unquote horror fan is when someone smugly is dismissive of the idea of quote unquote jump scares. And it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, you mean one of the mechanics of horror? <laughs> like sure, sure. jump scares are, 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 are great. Like, um, uh, in, in, I mentioned Ty West in the sort of like proto elevated horror, um, era, but the innkeeper starring our friend Pat Healy is one of my favorite horror movies of the last decade. And that's full of like, Wonderful. Oh no, it's just a cat, but it's still like, it's uh-huh. fucking scary in the moment. You know, you, you jump out of uh-huh. your seat. That's part of the fun of, of the suspense <laughs> that you're talking about and, and just watching horror movies and not wanting that. I think, uh, uh, like you were saying, like not wanting to feel manipulated is, is part of the, that's why I go back to calling these movies. It's because certain types of audience feel safer in these movies than they do in, in uh, less respectable forms of, of horror. And, and that, that goes to, I, I feel bad Dallas, you and I were both uh, very liberal people, but I feel like I'm spending a lot of time. I'm going to spend a lot of time bagging on liberals. <laughs> in, oh in, no, in, no, in no, these, no, no, no. Don't call me a discussion. liberal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, bag away, bro. But um, like, I think there's some, you know, one of my least favorite things. It happens every year around this time with uh the fall movie season, the awards movies, there are always be a handful of movies that are like issue movies that are so superficial and uh-huh. so cynical. And so like flattering to the audience, like a uh, boy erased a few years ago is a movie that's like, yes, I absolutely agree with what this movie is saying. And I am insulted by the way that it is trying to make uh-huh. me feel good about agreeing with it. And I feel like that's something about like, Tyler, you and I have talked on the show before a lot of horror movies, especially a lot of slasher movies actually have kind of conservative moral values to them. And so I think, uh, the, you know, I, I, uh, Dallas, you invoked the New Yorker type of audience, the New Yorker NPR type of audience likes the elevated horror movies because they're, they're not challenging, um, uh-huh. in a, in a political or, or, or moral sense. Oh, I think that's uh, a great, a great, uh, analysis there. I, I think that is, that's one, one of the things that's always made horror interesting. It's, is how, um, I don't want to call it react. I don't think of it as a reactionary genre, but, but definitely there's that streak of, of, of puritanism it's, within slashers. I mean, that's, that's so clear and so obvious, but, um, Oh, golly, golly. I was going to say something interesting. Oh, you know what you made me think of? I just have to have to get it onto the, onto the tape here. Yeah. Um, that wonderful kids in the hall sketch where they're at the Oscars. Do you remember this one? Well, where, so there's the guy it's, it's all these different performances at the Oscars. And one of them, one of them is a, is it's all these different protests. So it's the climaxes of films and they're all up for best actor. And so it's a guy in a wheelchair and they're all, all the people that are super excited because the local bump manufacturer is getting a deal with the mayor and the guy with the wheelchair rolls up to, to, and there's another one about, there's a, there's a whole group of people who are just, just, they don't like deaf people. And so they're all protesting deaf people. And I can't remember if it was Kevin Spacey. I'm not Kevin Spacey. Excuse me. Yeah. 
Kevin, Kevin or Mark, yeah. but uh, but who Kevin McDonald? Thank you, thank you. Anyway, sorry, this is this is the wrong direction. But everyone should Google <laughs> if you haven't seen that Kids in the Hall sketch, just Google it because it's delightful, and I'm doing it no justice. Um, but 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 it's the kind of movie that you're talking about. They're just hollow. They're just hollow movies that are. They, they talk about manipulative. I mean, they're just they, they are products, and they're products to make you feel like like you are on the correct side of issues. And I do think that it's, uh, I think in Dallas, I think you had mentioned this and I, and I agree. And I mean, I, it feels like we're just like ragging on people, but you know what? I'm, I'm okay with it because obviously the three of us are better than the people we're talking about. Um, (laughs) but I do think that there is this idea. I I really like the idea uh, Dallas of people, not wanting to feel manipulated or rather not wanting to validate that as uh, art having any kind of artistic merit. Meanwhile, like it's something that as I've gotten older and as I've become a teacher, something that I try to emphasize is like, obviously the term manipulation when talking about like one person to another, we don't like that. We don't, and understandably so um, because there's just so much, scheming going on behind it Mm -hmm. meanwhile it's like Mm -hmm. but film and art in general it's trying to get you to think a certain thing or feel a certain thing without simply saying you should think or feel this like if if someone says you should feel this that's the exact opposite of manipulation uh but if they're trying but like through story and style they're trying to get you to feel that thing that is inherently manipulation and that's not a that's not a bad thing uh but but it's also it's also uh, an equalizer, you know, mm-hmm. like when, if you're watching Jaws and Ben Gardner's head pops out of that little hole uh, and Hooper freaks out, like the, the high-minded intellectual, you know, critic-minded uh, audience member will jump just as much as the lowly, I've seen maybe five movies in my entire life person. And in that moment, like they're the same and if you're somebody who tries to think of film as a higher thing uh, or, or as, as a genuine art form, um, you're like, well, I can't intellectualize this. I can talk about the choices that the director made in order to get this response from me. But unlike something like Get Out, where I can really delve into mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. Uh, and, and appreciate it on a purely intellectual level, uh, this forces me to acknowledge my own my own feelings. Uh, and I'd rather not do that because feelings are, are more irrational. They can't be trusted, whatever it is. Uh, and meanwhile, you know, I, I go back to something that Gene Siskel said when he talked about being a writer, he said, he goes, I approach a movie review as though I were just reporting a news story, but the news story is my reaction to the film, not even the film itself. And in that, and he says, like, if you laugh, say you laughed. If you, if you screamed, say you screamed. And I think a lot of people don't want to do that. I think they want to hold themselves at a remove so that they, they, they can say like, yes, I reacted to this, but I reacted based on who I am as an intellectual, Mm -hmm. as opposed to who I am as a person. Um, And obviously I'm kind of playing armchair psychologist here. Uh, But I think, honestly, I think some of this comes from the fact that I myself have, have, have done this. I've been this. I think when I was younger and when, you know, when you start taking film seriously as an art form, you want to believe that you are better than, than these other, than, than your, the normies, as we call them. Uh, and it's like, you're not better. You might have a deeper appreciation, but when it comes right down to it, 
if something makes you laugh or something makes you scream, that's, that's universal. And that's something to be embraced and something to be applauded, not something to be sort of uh, looked at scornfully. I think there's a particular self-consciousness that comes with being a high-minded fan of an art form that is also a very low and vulgar art form. (laughs) So like there, there is this chip on our, uh, on our shoulders to constantly like prove to ourselves and to others that like, no, we appreciate cinema on a different Mm -hmm. level than the families who were going to the Cineplex on, on, uh, on Friday night. And so there is this sort of knee jerk dismissiveness. I certainly went through that period younger in my uh, cinephile days of being like, you, you know, being uh precious about when I use the word film and when I use the word movie, that was like a, a, a mm-hmm. teenage me thing uh, to do. And you kind of have to like go through that. I think uh, I mean, maybe not everyone does, you know, if, if you were born a uh, uh, grounded and self-actualized cinephile, then good for you. But a lot of us have to go through that period of like being kind of snobs to get sure. to a point where we can say like, Oh no, I like cinema and fucking, you know, the Friday night, Friday, Friday night lights, Friday the 13th is just as much cinema as, you know, persona or whatever. It's all cinema. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or Friday or, 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 or the witch like Friday mm-hmm. 13th or, or nightmare on Elm street is, is, is right. You can discuss them in different ways. I, 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 something that was discussed a moment ago that, that it got me thinking, I think this is the, the right way to start approaching the, the ability to heal. Um, from this terrible term which the term is divisive and so it comes down to something you were saying a moment ago tyler that that got me thinking about how in general we all our first instinct is to approach things in a binary way to say it's this or this and so take like in lefty politics it's a constant discussion it's a race or class you know if you go if you go deep into lefty stuff nobody wants to talk about race because it's all class. It's all materialism. It's all class. But the truth is, is that it's both. So I'm just, 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 I spend most of my time, if it's not in horror stuff and political stuff, and it bothers me to know when that we can't just go, Hey, it's both. It's race and class. That those are the, those are the things we got to be dealing with here. So same thing with, with, we're talking about is it, is if a movie is like, say, take a Hitchcock movie. Now, of course we can get deep into Hitchcock. We can get in, we bring Freud and Lacan and all this stuff in, but let's just, put that to the side for a moment and just say we're approaching Hitchcock as formal mechanics only. So that is just as valid as then taking this, this European art film, or in this case, a a quote unquote elevated horror film and looking at it, not front, not with the distance, it's formal mechanics have pushed us to have a bit of a distance. And that's meant to allow us then to think deeper about it or quote unquote deeper about it in a way that's beyond its mechanics beyond its, its, its affectations. So I guess what I'm getting at is that it can just be both. We don't have to say, Oh, I don't like movies that quote unquote manipulate me. And, and, and to put a cap on them, I think a better way to think about to, to replace the word manipulate, I would, I would just use it with, with a, a pursuit describing a pursuit of clarity. I think when, when we feel manipulated, it's because the director, the film has, has successfully touched us with its clarity and and it achieved everything it wanted to do in that moment. Um, that's a perfectly valid way to 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 appreciate a film. To bring it back to Hitchcock again, what we can do with Hitchcock is is take both sides of this equation and put it into one film. So you can watch Psycho and you can just watch it and enjoy the hell out of it uh, for all of its mechanics and the way it's put together formally. And that's that's intellectually stimulating. And then you can 
then you can go watch the pervert's guide to cinema and bring Zizek into it. And you can take a whole nother dive into it with all this other psychoanalysis. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that it can just be both. Like there's just no reason to have this divide between is something that is, that is quote, that is making me scared on purpose. That's making me laugh. That is focused on its formal elements as the piece of into as, as, as the intellectual the intellectual gift to us is its formal mechanics. And then you have this other side where the intellectual gift to us isn't where, where it's mechan- where it's pushed us to a distance and, and allowed us to approach it with an art quote, you know, artistic mind to begin with. Sorry, that was a big ramble, but well, I just feel also, like it's both. Yeah, you don't need to apologize. Yeah. And also the exactly. speaking as someone who is, is frequently frustrated with like, you know, the way, like my fellow conservatives talk about film in general, I'd say. Um, yeah. You know, actually film specifically um, they will talk about like any kind of movie that, that is not as, as straightforward, <coughs> excuse me, uh, is not as straightforward as, as, you know, uh, a Marvel film or something like that. And they'll say like movies are entertainment. They're, they're supposed to entertain us. And, you know, I think, when I was younger, I pushed back and I overcorrected. I think mm-hmm. I said, like I said, no film is an art form. And thus I wound up put, going so far that I would diminish the concept of entertainment. And in mm-hmm. actuality, it is both. And what's interesting is like a movie that is, that is uh, first off, even if a film is only, is merely attempting to entertain, it's still going to be a product of its time. It's still going to be a product of its, of its director. So it's still going to be doing a lot, uh, whether it means to or not. But uh, but even so, like the choices that are being made, whether it be from a, a narrative standpoint or a cinematography standpoint, music, whatever it is, all of those are inherently artistic decisions all so that you can get a certain reaction out of the audience. And that's that's art. So even art, even entertainment is art. And course, then yeah. art itself could be seen as entertainment, depending on how you define the word entertainment. Um and so yeah, this idea of it being either or, and it's just like, well, I'm, you know, I, I would never deal with that uh, Friday the 13th clap trap. I'm more of a, I'm more of an, it follows guy. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, you, it, if one works for you and one doesn't, that's fine. That's no, I wouldn't begrudge somebody having a negative reaction to 80 slasher movies. I'm not a big fan of them myself, but to, to downplay those as though, and even though the first Friday the 13th, the, the director specifically says, I was trying to rip off Halloween. Like he, <laughs> he says it uh, and it's like, you can, and, and so it's like, okay, so you're not trying to really get at something here, but at the same time, you still have to make the, the same stylistic decisions that John Carpenter had to make for Halloween in order for it to be effective. And mm-hmm. so whether you were trying or not, you're still, ma- you're still, making artistic decisions and we as as film people can either we can act as though the the director's initial intention is everything and not and just dismiss whatever decisions they're making or we can say it's all part of it everything is it's all of a piece it's all the same thing and we can and every movie can be approached with like excitement and vigor and 
yes, intellectual analysis while also tuning into our own emotions and seeing what the film got out of us uh, mm-hmm. in that regard. And it doesn't have to be one or the other. Uh, it can be both. And often it's not more, ju- it's not only two things. It's, it's a whole spectrum of things. Sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. You said something about like, you know, every movie or whatever. Uh, there's one more point that I want to get to. I know, I don't know how close we are to, to wrapping up. I know we've been going for like an hour. Um, but uh, I wanted to turn the tables a little bit because we have spent so much time uh, uh, insulting people who are, who gravitate toward quote unquote elevated horror. Oh, I, I want to, I want to turn the tables sure. the other way against the, 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 the purists. Um, Cause I know, look, Dallas, I'm looking over your shoulder. I see the high on fire poster. I know oh, you're yeah, a me- baby. I know you're a metal guy. I'm something of a metal guy, but one thing I hate is this sort of like, if you're not now, you never were mentality of like, uh, Oh, Mastodon aren't really metal anymore. So uh, they're no longer true. They're no longer cult or whatever. I just ran into that where I was wearing a Mastodon yeah. shirt. And I just ran into that recently with a really nice young man who has given me all kinds of great suggestions for some metal bands uh, to listen to, but was just not into the Mastodon shirt. And, you know, but <laughs> yeah. that's, that's your loss, dude. Mastodon's awesome. And so I, I, I would also, uh, you know, chide people who say that these films aren't quote unquote real horror. They're, they're real horror right. too. Like the, it follows. And I think part to talk about the Mastodon thing about how like as Mastodon has evolved as a band, they become more of this sort of like heavy, blues bluesy hard rock band than metal like the fact that like david robert mitchell follows up it follows with under the silver lake jennifer Con- kent jesus jennifer kent <laughs> follows up the babadook with uh the nightingale um like non-horror movies although both movies have horrific things in them especially the nightingale like um the idea that that somehow proves like oh mm-hmm. they're not real horror because look at what they, once they got a bit of respectability, they moved on to uh, uh, something outside the, the, the genre that doesn't make uh, the Babadook any less horrific. Yeah. Yeah. I was on, I was on set a long time ago with this old school threat. It was, it was a grip. He was older than me and was like real, like old school thrash metal guy. And, but, but super pure, super pure. And then he's, he was talking, we were talking about, I think cannibal corpse or something, but um, we were talking about Norwegian. We got into a conversation about Norwegian black metal. And I was just like, Oh man, do you listen to death heaven? And he looked at me with such disdain. Oh, like, yeah. like that was like, like, like <laughs> this guy, you know, he just, for him, that was just, that's just hipster bullshit. And, and, and I, my thought was like, you're missing out, you know, like, this is some of the best stuff happening right now and you're missing out. And so I guess my answer to like both camps in this divide, because you're right. There's a lot of horror people that view the, the, the so-called elevated horror movies that, that view them with disdain and you, they're missing out yeah. just yeah. as yeah. the elevated horror people that are, are missing out by not engaging in some, some actual fun. Yeah. What do you, off topic, what do you think of that most recent death heaven album though? That's not, because it's it's no longer metal at all, really. I, mean, I guess I it has some like. Don't know riffs. if I've listened to it. Okay, uh, it's it's a it's good, but like I kept having to like try not to think about who Death Heaven were while listening to it, and just like treated it as, as its own thing. Because it is a good album, yeah. But it's yeah. so far from black metal that like. It, so the last thing I heard from them was um, Black Brick, that single. So I, I haven't listened to the new one. Um, speaking of bands that evolve, do you listen to Lantlos? Oh, I've heard of Lantlos. 
that is my current very favorite metal band. Sorry, uh, quick metal digression. Yeah. Amazing band from Germany. When they started the first, first record, just like real pure black metal coming from the, the, the deepest, darkest forests. And then their next record is like, you know, that eighties band talk, talk. Uh So every song, everything that talk, talk did not counting. It's my life. Okay. So put that to the side, everything else talk, talk did. Imagine that combined with black metal and you've got the second Lantlos record and it's phenomenal. And then their next record is just like moving slowly into shoegaze via Jezu kind of thing. And their newest record is like really just like kind of upbeat, upbeat, hardcore slash shoegazy. And it's just, it's just fucking great, but you got to be along for the whole ride okay. to, to enjoy it. Anyway, my okay. big, my recommendation is Lantlos, okay. Lantlos, Lantlos, Lantlos. I'll, I'll throw out uh, a Russian atmospheric black metal band called Olhava. O L H A V A. I don't know if you've listened to them. The most recent. No, called, I haven't. It's called frozen bloom. Yeah, okay. That's, that's the, that's maybe the, well, it's certainly the atmospheric black metal record of the year for me. Okay. Okay. Uh, we say it again. Uh, it? The band is Ohava. O L H A V A. Okay. And the newest so, album but is to bring it full bloom. circle to yeah. like, kind of okay, so we're, we're like explain <laughs> some real street cred here, but then I will then go on to say the other day, I, out of the blue played some Megadeth and I was like, fucking hey, Megadeth's great. <laughs> I, I completely like I hadn't listened to Megadeth since I was six years old. And was like, this is great. And so, you know, you got to get to a point in life where you just stop saying no to stuff and, and horror movies are, I think our message to horror people out there to these two different camps, just cut it out. Like the witch is awesome. And Friday the 13th is awesome. And maybe, maybe one of the other isn't is, is actually not your cup of tea and that's fine, but don't dismiss it because of, of you think something's pretentious or you think something is not pretentious enough, whichever it is that. Right. That, that I think is, is one thing that I wanted to, to emphasize is that like, there's no rule that says you have to like everything, Correct. but it's, yeah. it's the, it's the dismissal. It's the, the fact of like, well, that I've heard about that. And you know what? That's not real horror. So th- thus, I'm not going to watch it. Or it is also possible to watch something with your arms folded and not really giving it a chance. Uh, and that can not happen. giving it a chance. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. yeah and yeah. that can happen either way uh, in either direction. And so it really is just it, it goes back, as always, to sort of this this gatekeeper attitude of this isn't real that. And, and so I'm not going to give it a try. Or if I do, I'm not really going to give it a try. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that's, that's where you like, when it comes right down to it, like, yeah, you're, you're shutting yourself off from, from something that could be potentially really fun or something yeah. that could be, uh, you know, or something that could be like really thought provoking often, maybe the same thing. Um, but yeah, I think uh, as I have gotten older and I've really come to appreciate what horror is, I don't like everything. Some stuff I find to be in poor taste, which is a, frankly, a term that I use less and less as I get older. Um, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, I do, I I feel like, you know, Dallas, you don't know this, but, uh, David and the listeners do, uh, this week, there's a documentary coming out directed by me, uh, called, uh, Valley of the shadow, the spiritual value of horror. It's two hours and 20 minutes. People can, uh, you can either subscribe to rediscover television and watch it that way, or you can rent it directly uh, Vimeo on demand. It will be available sometime this week. I don't remember either Monday or Tuesday. I'll certainly put out a lot of announcements. Yes. This sounds the, great. The point is 
if you had, if you told me 10 years ago that I was going to be devoting a significant portion of my time to making this documentary, uh, I would have definitely uh, scoffed a little bit um, and wondered like, what on earth, what am I going to say? Uh, sure. Because even 10 years ago, I mean, I still loved horror, but I don't think I was still fully open to it as I am now. And I have no doubt there will be plenty of people because uh, it is sort of intended for a Christian audience. It gets pretty, gets pretty churchy at the end, just a heads up, everybody. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, but I know there will be some people who just instinctively are not going to want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe, because uh, the guy who runs the streaming service that paid for this, he's very much on board, so much so that in anticipation of it, he started posting some like classic uh, horror movies on the streaming service. And I think as a result, he lost some subscribers. Oh man. Uh, so, wow. yeah. So, you know, that's, that's not, that's unfortunate, but at the same time, like it's not uncommon. And so I do think that uh, it's, it's such a, it's such a beautiful, uh, maybe not in the traditional sense of the word. It's such a beautiful genre that can do so much. And David, I, I think you've said this before that it might be the most inherently cinematic genres uh mm-hmm. and and i uh yeah i've said that before but then like i also think about action so like those two sure. together horror and action as yeah. far as genre film they can go or maybe the most uh the, have, the most have, have y'all done, like pure cinema have you done an episode like a why horror episode like why it matters i don't think so i think that's so big sounds can like call, next year's I, halloween episode can i call dibs on it yeah next, yeah. next sure. year's halloween episode okay well I, i'm gonna watch this documentary first because i feel like there's gonna be some good stuff in there to bring to the table maybe um and i can just <laughs> rent it on itunes uh Apple, no, Apple. It, it'll be it'll be through uh vimeo which is available vimeo. On various, oh, vimeo. Yeah, okay yeah okay um but yeah well, I'll, I'll, I'll tweet out links to it and all that sort of thing well, I, I can't wait to see it. And I do, I do, I would, I would like to then take what we're discussing now. I, 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 so full disclosure, I have some people from LA that just drove up. So I'm going to have okay. to, to wrap up, but um, yeah, I do. I would like, I feel like this is a starting place to a conversation. Maybe we sure. should reapproach in a couple months. I, I'm not trying to, to horn in here, but, but uh, if, if you wanted to and like move into a, something about horror that's a little bit broader, just why mm-hmm. it's even here. Well, why we, why we engage with in horror at all. And why it's like from the moment film started, horror was there. Like oh, that's, yeah. that's worth noting, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, well, but yes, yeah, I'm, I'm all in favor of it, but uh, Dallas, as you know, as a longtime listener, we don't like the, dis- the, the guests dictate what we do. Uh, <laughs> we, 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 we steer this shit. Okay? Open you up to new ways of being. Uh, well, this is, that's exactly what you've done here. Thank you for, for, for being here, Dallas. This was a great uh, conversation. Thank you for having me. I, ho- I, I enjoyed it very much. Uh, meanwhile, you can find us at battleshipretention.com. You can email us at david at battleshipretension.com or tyler at battleshipretension.com. You can follow me on Twitter at DaveyPretension. Also, make sure to check out my other podcast, uh, which is called The One Where I Met Your Mother, in which my wife and I watch an episode of Friends, an episode of How I Met Your Mother uh, every week and uh, compare and contrast. And we also talk the music of the era and the fashion of the era and what else was going on. It's, uh, it, it's fun. And, and sometimes it gets uh, a, a little heady, but then also we, you know, make fun of Chandler's vest or whatever. So, uh, um, uh, in, in this week, um, Oh, I don't even remember what happened. Uh, Rachel, 
uh, hooks back up with the guy she left at the altar and, and, um, uh, Marshall and Lily try to plan a wedding on two months notice. That's what, those are the two episodes we watched. Uh, you can follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler pretension. Tyler, what do you have to plug other than your documentary for which this entire episode was stealthily a commercial? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you picked up on that. Speaking of manipulation. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, ba- that's basically it. Uh, and again, it's as of by the, cause this we're recording this uh, same day that it's going up. Uh, so yeah, it'll go late tonight, early tomorrow. Roughly. Yeah. Again, officially. I know I tend to put up episodes Sunday night. Officially our drop date is Monday. Sure. Cause I never want people to expect they can listen to battle for pretension on the way to church or whatever. It's really Monday. <laughs> Nothing gets me going when I'm headed to church uh, more than this type of conversation. Um, But yeah, so it'll be, it'll be available sometime this week, probably Tuesday or Wednesday. We wanted it uh, a little bit before Halloween. Uh, So yeah, that'll definitely be happening, but uh, yeah, we're putting some finishing touches on it right now and it'll be available uh, very soon. Dallas, do you have anything you want to plug or where, where, where can people find you? Um, no, I'm, I'm not on Twitter, um, Good for you. Instagram, but, um, yeah, no, I have nothing, nothing new to plug. Lots of irons in the fire. Hope they'll have something to plug in the next year or so. All right. Exciting. Okay. Well, we can't to have you back. Uh, thanks again for being here, Dallas. Uh, thank you everyone at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. 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 This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.